Hi, and thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. Next, this is your boy JC and Dr. Capel. How's it going out there? It is frigid February 2021. It's cold yeah. outside. There's Can't, a storm from coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait for the warm weather. Mm. It is, uh, this is episode 24. And again, we are shooting to do ep- at least 52 episodes. And we're trying to do one of these every week, every two weeks or so. So this week, we are talking about a book called Let My People Go Surfing. It's being a frigid. I was in the kitchen thinking about, well, so I'm building a surfboard with Evelyn, my daughter. That's so cool. We just got a kit and we're going to build it um, this winter and spring so she can go surfing this summer. Perfect. And so I'm sitting in the, standing in the kitchen thinking about building this board with her and going surfing and how much fun it would be to be outside in warm weather. And for some reason, the phrase let my people go serving popped in my head and so i'm like hey i've that i've heard of that somewhere and i said cindy have you ever heard of this book called let my people go surfing i wonder if we have that she's like i gave that to you <laughs> yeah i bought it for you like i don't know a year and a half ago <laughs> and you're like yeah yeah that's nice put it on the shelf <laughs> yeah so you went and fished it out for me right i did yeah so um i ended up reading it and uh let My People Go Surfing is by Yvonne Chouinard, Chouinard, who founded Chouinard Equipment Company. He used to be like kind of a, a surf bum, climbing bum. So in high school, he's a little bit of a nerd. Where's he from? He was from Burbank, California. Okay. Why? You know him? No, I was just curious if I didn't know if it was in Hawaii or Burbank or oh, North yeah, Carolina. Yeah. Was, I don't know. So this West Coast, West Coast Five, you yeah. know. Uh, he was kind of a nerd in high school, so didn't do sports and stuff, really. So he started a falconry club. That's interesting. And I don't know. What do you do with falcons? I have no idea. I guess you uh, fly them. <laughs> they go yeah, they go, like, away. hunt. Yeah. You hunt with falcons? Yeah. So he's got this falcon club, and they end up, uh, one of the members of the club teaches them how to rappel off of cliffs and stuff to get to the bird's nests mm-hmm. for various reasons. I don't know I don't know why they do that. Uh-huh. So started rappelling, he started and got in so from learning how to rappel to get to the bird's nest led him to more uh, mountaineering and hiking mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And eventually he got he really got into like mountain climbing. <clears throat> And so he started, uh, I've never heard of this term, but pittons, P-I-T-O-N-S. He developed, he started making these metal pittons. And basically they're metal spikes with loops in the end that you can hammer into rocks. Oh. And then you just put your rope through there and it helps serve as a support for you. So you don't, you, you basically can tie into the rock by hammering these pittons into cracks and stuff in the stone. And so he started making these by hand. Um, he, he made his own blacksmith's forge and started making these. That's cool. To, for him, for himself, when he went hiking up in the mountains and stuff. 
And so I, I, right away I thought of you. And yeah. Your, your blacksmithing, your burgeoning blacksmithing skills. <laughs> that might be something you can make is these pittons. However, once you'll later find out what happened to the pittons, you probably won't want to. But um, So he started, people started wanting to use these pittons that he was making for their own hiking. So he would, he would start, he started making them for other people and selling them for like $1.50. Mm-hmm. And you could buy them from other places at the time, mostly from Europe. It was mostly a European thing, people hiking in the Alps or whatever. And you could buy them cheaper, but his were... Supposedly so much better for some, mm. for whatever reason, better shapes and better. I don't know. They were just they were just better. I'm not a, I'm not a hiker, or mountain climber, or whatever. He also started making carabiners. Oh, nice. So you could just he came up with his own carabiner design that you could just hook into the pittons and mm-hmm. do your ropes and whatever. Well, do you, did you ever? You, you yeah, you hike. You like to hike, right? I do, I've done rappelling. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're going to talk about rappelling. <laughs> I was a camp counselor after college for a summer, and I got put on the rappelling course to teach kids rappelling. I had no idea how to rappel. Well, and you're here scared I of am, heights. And I'm t- terrified of heights. And here I am, a civil graduate, and I have no idea how to oh rappel. My, or <laughs> my palms are sweating just climbing up to the top of this tower. Uh, but I eventually learned how to do it, and then I kind of faked my way. It's funny how trying to teach somebody to do something kind of accelerates your own learning, because yeah. that's really how I learned, is trying to teach these kids how to do it, when I really had no freaking idea what I was talking about. Hey, darling, you're going to be fine. Just jump <laughs> off of there. The rope's going to hold you. Oh, my God, I hope he doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And, and, but I eventually got to the point, I think I even did, like, Australian rappelling, where you go down fit. Oh, first. yeah. That's a good time. I like that. Yeah. I eventually owned that tower, but it took me a while. But anyway, um, so Yvonne Chouinard, he is now a billionaire. Let's just start with that. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that interests me about him. Yeah. And he did it. He, he became a billionaire by focusing on creating a sustainable, eco-conscious um, business, basically. His company... Schwin, sh- became uh, Schoenard, Schoenard, I don't know how to say his name, Schoenard Equipment, and they made climbing hardware and hiking things, backpacks and, and whatever. And so that's how he got his start in the early 70s in Burbank, California. It was in the 70s? I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So from there, uh, his business just took off, and people started buying these pittance left and right. <laughs> pittance. So like mittens, but pittens, these metal spikes that you would hammer into the, the rock mm-hmm. to help you climb. And then they became so popular, he was soon to find out that the pittens on, on well-climbed areas was tearing up the stone. Oh. And people were just leaving them stuck in. Oh. And then I can't even imagine how you would pull them out. If, if you have to hammer it in in such a way that it holds you on the face of a rock, I would imagine that getting it out would be a real hassle. And so, yeah, I mean, over time, these things get left in the rock or they get they get yanked out and tear up the, fa- the rock of the face, face of the rock. And so they started becoming an environmental problem. Yeah. Which was a problem for a company that's trying to be environmentally friendly. So that was one of their early pivots was to move away from these metal pittons that, had got, that the company had gotten their start with to... Um, 
aluminum types of different shapes. I'm not even sure how you use them, but one of them is like a hexagon shape, and I, I don't. It's just something that you no longer hammered into a rock. You kind of wedged in there, mm -hmm. and so they're like these hexagon things. One of them was called the hexical or something like that. And so that was one of their early innovations as mm. a company is to pivot away from this uh, environment, this this thing that was doing damage to the environment to something that was much more environmentally friendly. And um, sure enough, that became the, the new standard for climbing as well. And so uh, Chenard Equipment Company had great success doing these these types of selling these types of equipment to what he calls dirt bags and basically the dirt bags is a, a term of endearment for climbers people who don't you know really people who kind of shun normal society mm -hmm. and corporate America and just love to climb and surf and be outside and so these were kind of the clientele that he was catering to back then um, eventually they created another, um, they kind of diversified what they were selling and got into clothing and started off with like really rough corduroy that you could like climb in and, mm. and then eventually jackets and, you know, sweaters and everything else. And so the clothing line that they started became Patagonia. And you've heard of Patagonia. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. I have Patagonia <laughs> so, in the closet. <laughs> Patagonia is a really well-known brand. Yeah. And their quality is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well... That's because they have a crazy focus on quality. Mm. That's one of their big tenets. And I'll talk about that a little bit when um, I discuss some of the philosophies in this book. There's a lot of philosophy in this book, like corporate philosophy and personal philosophy and how it drives our, our, the way we do business, that kind of thing. You know, uh, um, yeah, so but before we get into that, um, there's a, a, a surfer woman by the name of Kristen McDivitt, and she was a friend of somebody, I, f I forget her relation, but um, Yvonne invited her to come work for the company early on, and um, I, I really like the story about her because she, I'm trying to find the story in the book, but she did not have much focus as uh, a high school, as a high schooler in a college, um, uh, what do you call a uh, college person? <laughs> so she was she just skied basically in college, and didn't have any direction for when you know what she wanted to do. Um, but when she got hired to work for Chenard, here we go, Chris McDivitt. Um, she became she eventually became the general manager and CEO of the company. Oh, wow. Yeah, and just did great things with it. And she says here on uh, page 43, there were, uh, well, she says, um, so he, Yvonne, gave me the companies saying, in effect, here's Patagonia, here's Chenard Equipment. Do with him what you will. I'm going climbing. So yeah. he, he didn't want to take. He didn't run the business anymore. Yeah. He wanted somebody to take over management because um, they'd been going gang buster since 1972, and by 77 there were there were 16 people there and a general manager, and then in 79 his brother quit uh, or her brother quit the company. Oh, so okay, so her brother worked at the company. He quit. 
and then Yvonne didn't want to run the company anymore. He just wanted to go climb and surf. So she came on, she came on board and, and took over. That's awesome. And this woman is really interesting too because I, I just think it's funny how she just wanted to, you know, the, this little section here talks about how um, the her guidance counselor, you know, said, I, I know to her, I know you're planning on sending Christine to college. Don't bother. Hmm. In college, she was a downhill ski racer and wasn't sure exactly what degree she graduated with until years later when she returned to speak to the students. And then she ends up becoming, you know, the CEO of this hugely successful company. And not only that, she ends up marrying this guy named Doug Tompkins, who is the CEO of North Face. Oh, and together dang. they managed manage. Well, he, he died. She's still alive. But they yeah. manage over 2 million acres in South America. Wow. That's part of the whole Patagonia Preserve. And they're, they're preserving. They, they bought all that land down there and they preserved it. I think they turned it back over to, to Argentina, if I'm not mistaken. I think they did, yeah. 2 million acres. It's incredible. So here she goes from somebody whose guidance counselor says, don't bother sending her to college. She's nothing. Yeah. To, I mean, who's, who's as successful as that? You know, you can probably... A handful of people in the world, maybe. And so that's like... <laughs> so a, I love that story. That's a big proponent of... Because people tell you and then what to believe about yourself. And yeah. then you ingest that. Especially so guidance never, counselors. They're always freaking... This goes through adulthood, wrong. too. And so, like, don't accept other people's stories about you. Yeah. Create your own story. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I don't think she cared what anybody said. <laughs> she sounds like a... True, but a lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, my kids do. Yeah. As well. And, yeah. Yeah, so I love that about her. Um, I liked reading that. Um, so the company takes off. It's growing extremely mm. fast. It's hugely successful. Um, and they are just having tremendous year-over-year -year growth. And that becomes their, you know, they have other hurdles, but this becomes like one of their biggest hurdles. Mm. And the irony is they have, they experience a year where they only had 20% growth from the previous year. 20% is still a lot. People freaked out. Suppliers, whatever. Hey, you guys aren't doing nearly what you used to be doing. Only 20% growth. Something's wrong. Things started falling apart. Oh my gosh. They ended up having to lay off 20% <gasps> of the company in 1991. Oh. 20% of the company. I forget how many... Uh, 120 employees at the Ouch. time. Yeah. Um, because Just because it started this whole chain of events where, and plus it was a tough year in 91. Yeah. Um, so they really, uh, that's when this whole, we really need to get to, we, we, need, to get, we need to develop this philosophy for our company. Uh, it needs to be more sustainable. No company can sustain plus 20% growth every year. No. Uh, and so they, they, really had a, a come to Jesus meeting, had everybody get together and think about what it is to work here. What other, was it, what does it mean to be a sustainable business, both in terms of financially and, and all these other things also, uh, uh, environmentally, ecologically or whatever. And so they cut things back to where they were only growing 5% a year mm. for the most part. And that's on purpose because they don't want to grow too fast and then, and crash yeah and that, that that's definitely a thing and uh some other things that i pulled out of this whole discussion about um su sustainable growth is he mentioned several times about the iroquois tribe 
where they have one person in the tribe who represents the seventh generation of the people. And any decision that the tribe makes has to get buy-in from this person who represents the seventh generation. Interesting. Seventh generation in the future. Yeah. So this person in the tribe is thinking, okay, the decisions that we're making now, how is this going to impact our people seven, in seven, seven generations? generations? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. Like, how come governments don't think like that? <laughs> we're all how rooted in today's crazy. How come our society... Yeah. Oh, man. How, did, how could we... Kill, try to kill out this type of idea, this mm -hmm. type of thinking. So well, I just really love that. Mm -hmm. And how can we bring that into our lives as a family? How, yeah. how can we think? Because we, we try to think, you know, when we're gone, what are we leaving to our kids and how are they going to manage it and, and all that yeah. kind of thing. But seven generations, how do you think? That's like, how do we build generational wealth and yeah. security in a family? In a, in a tribe, in a business, in mm -hmm. a government, you know? That's just, I love That's that. Really love powerful. that. So that was a great thing I pulled out of this book, the whole Iroquois idea. And so they try to, using that paradigm, they try to operate with a 100-year business plan. <laughs> That's so amazing. Talk about sustainable business. Yeah. Hey, we're not going to, if, if our decision-making doesn't allow us to exist 100 years from now, we're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And if it means we're only going to grow 5% a year, that's what we're going to do. And I don't care what the shareholders want, 20 or 30%. Yeah. You know? Love it. Love it. And um, also pulled away a falconry term called Yarrick, which is another thing I really freaking love. And it means when you keep, it, it, it relates to a term when you keep your falcon in a super alert, hungry state, but it's not weak and it's ready to hunt. Mm -hmm. Isn't that awesome? So it's like you were for dinner. <laughs> the state of Yarrick. Constant state of Yarrick. I'm not weak. I'm hungry and I'm ready to hunt. I love that. Okay. And so uh, real quick, uh, the rest of the book is a bunch of philosophies that they kind of, um, they pulled into their organization as a result of almost failing at that mm -hmm. one point in 1991. And I'm not going to go over all of them. Um, so read the book if, if you want to get more details on it. But I do just want to pull out some of the key ones that I took away. Um, one of the philosophy, philosophies is uh, focus on quality. But quality is job one. Like There's no point in making a product and selling it if you're not going to make the best quality product. Mm. Like, Don't compete. Be the best. But part of that is agreeing with your company on the definition of quality. And I, I thought that was interesting because there was one person who said, well, we'll never make uh, clothing like this one Italian company makes. They sell the sweater for $300, it's, it's handmade, the buttons are beautiful and blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, how long does it last after you wash it? And they said, well, it's $300, no one's gonna wash that sweater. So, okay. <laughs> I can't wear clothing that I don't wash on occasion because it gets too sticky. So that that goes into the calculus of what defines a quality product. Yeah, that's huge. Like in organizations, making sure everybody's on the same page. Like I can tell you some of the organizations I've worked at, what's quality to me is wildly different than quality to other people because they're saying, okay, so what's the 30% solution? And for me, a 30% solution is not good enough. We need to give the 90% solution to 100%. 
because it's the experience that our people are receiving, like our customers are receiving. So Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, uh, he makes that point where even though, um, you know, you have, to def- you have to define your organization's definition of quality, yeah. uh, it is an objective standard. It is not subjective. And it's objective because the organization defines the parameters that define quality. And a lot of people miss that step. And so I love that he actually highlighted that saying that this is, this is how you do it because most people just make their own assumptions and it's not defined. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Define yeah. what the standards of quality are. Yeah. And they're, and they're well-defined within Patagonia. Yeah. And, and it's the first, it's the, it's the very, uh, it's the most important aspect of what they do. Mm. It has to be a quality product. Love that. So, yep. Um, is it simple? Is your product simple? (laughs) (laughs) And again, this is, you know, it's a simple idea. Make your product simple, but a lot of organizations don't get that right. Mm -hmm. Like if you go to a website sometime to buy things, like going back to the surfboard thing, I was trying to buy this surfboard kit. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And there was, it was so complex to figure out what were the right options. You know, there's all these different, there's, you know, long boards and short boards and fish and all these different shapes. And like, I, I have no idea what kind of surfboard to get my daughter. Like, what do I need a six foot five one? Do I need a nine? I had no idea. What kind of fins do I need? Do I need fin control system? One, two, three, <laughs> you know, so complex. And dude, all I want to do is surf. <laughs> I want a board. Way too complex. Yeah. Way over engineered. A very simple thing. In my mind, at least this one website. I don't know if they're all like that, but um, so yeah, simplicity is very important. And in, in the software world, uh, so many people I've run into over the years over-engineer things, mm. like because it. I think they think it shows how smart they are if you can put together some very complex solution for something. Whereas I think just the opposite. If it's if we can make it as simple as possible, and you think I'm stupid, that's fine as long as it's simple. Yeah, that's the most important thing. Um, timely. Is your product timely? I thought this was also really intriguing because of the fact that he's talking about delivering clothing and cl- mountain climbing things in a timely manner, products in a mm. timely manner. Like, okay, how quickly are these um, uh, consumers really evolving and how, <laughs> you know, but to, but to him, he says, you know, in the 1980s, you, a new product had to come out every three years in order to keep a, a company afloat. Interesting. But now he's like every three months you got to, and I'm like three months, that that's a for lot. climbing and clothing. Yeah. Like, uh, but apparently that's the case. But, and so I'm thinking in the software world technology, absolutely. It used to be like a year and a half, yeah. you know? Because of Moore's law or whatever, but now it is probably three months or less. Oh. And his point is, there's simply no time for inventing new things. Now you have to you have to innovate, which is a slight nuance to that. You're not creating something brand new. You're you're, you're retooling. nuancing, retooling, yeah. and changing things a little bit. Like they went from the the steel pittance to the hexagonal thing. One of my favorite quotes for the book that I used in the last episode that we put out on, uh, let's see, page 114, is uh, the Bill McDonough quote from the book Cradle to Cradle. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I really I really like this. So his question, his, his, the philosophy that they try to 
another philosophy they try to adhere to is does what we're doing cause any unnecessary harm because they don't want to harm to the environment harm to, harm to consumers whatever that you know they don't want to do that obviously and one of the quotes I took away from here that I really love is we have to take responsibility for what we make from birth to death and then beyond death back to rebirth <laughs> what the architect designer and author Bill, McCon Bill McDonough calls cradle to cradle and there's just so much in that quote that made me think about so many different things. And one of them is our technology. Like, so they want to have, Patagonia wants to have the philosophy that anything we make um, and we sell has an end game that is sustainable to the environment. So if somebody throws away a code or, or whatever, we can, we can take those, we can take that clothing back and recycle it and, and make new clothes out of it. So it's a it's a it's a never-ending loop, whereas, like an iPhone, for example, you buy an iPhone and it's end of life, and they come out with I, iPhone 44 XLZ. Mm -hmm. What do you do with your old old phone? Like, uh, what what do I do with it? How do I recycle it? I guess you can send it back. I guess there are recycling programs. I'm just not aware of them. Like, but, but a lot of people just but throw my them away. data's on there. Yeah. I don't want to send it back to yeah. Apple. <laughs> So what do we do with it? Yeah. And all that mercury and stuff that's in there, it's... Well, and not the just the iPhone, but like tech, it's cheaper to buy a new refrigerator than it is to fix your old one. And so what happens to the old refrigerator ends up in the dumpster and yeah. those kind of things. So it's like we're, we're not we're not taking care of the environment. We're just throwing things away and buying new. And so yeah. that's not... It's cradle to grave. Cradle yeah. to dump. Cradle to dump, which is a whole different challenge yeah and so that really got me thinking cradle to cradle wow mm -hmm. how do you how do you have that mindset as a business creating a product that I'm not gonna sell something to somebody unless I, I have a cradle to cradle solution for it mm -hmm. wow that's really amazing yeah I thought I mean I, yeah it starts it's making me think about how I consume now and what I do with the stuff that I have because so often, so much technology and whatever just ends up in the trash can if we move or something like that. I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. Or paint or old paint, you know? Yeah. What do I do with this old paint? Yeah. So anyway, um, I really, really love that quote. I'm going to keep using it. And like I said, I used it in the last uh, blog post about um, Avoca Farm and mm -hmm. how you were working on the farm. And uh, I, I still really just love that. Okay. Uh, cradle to Grave. Uh, cradle to cradle. <laughs> uh, involve the designer and the producer in what you make. Which goes back to the idea of... <laughs> what? Communication? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. It's really what it is. Communication. Uh, uh, and not creating stovepipes in the process. Really is what it boils down to. The analogy in construction is the architect who who designs a house and then the, the, the worker who actually takes those plans and builds it. Often there is a disconnect between the, the design and the implementation. And it's like that in software as well. A lot of times the people designing the software hand it over to somebody to implement and there's a disconnect on how you can actually implement this design, this architected design. And so he's basically pointing out um, in this philosophy where you involve the designer and the producer in the production of a product that they they both communicate and that they're 
well in touch with the end user mm. and that what they're designing and producing is meeting the end user's goals. So it seems obvious. It's not obvious. <laughs> it's not obvious anywhere. It's not common sense anywhere. So I, I, I like that. Um, page 20, 121 talks about quality. Quality first against on-time delivery and low cost. I also really, really like this. So what do you do if those three are at odds? Although it's management's job to treat these three goals as complementary rather than contradictory, what does a company do when it must face a choice between quality, on-time delivery, and cost? What do you do? What would you do, manager? So quality, on-time delivery, and cost, I'd go back to the values of the organization and what does the organization value most? If quality is the number one thing, then that's the top priority. There you go. And that, that's their number one thing. Yep. And he says, Patagonia puts quality first, period. I love that. Mm -hmm. That That's, if I were running a company, it'd be quality. It's the most important thing. Another thing I thought was really interesting was how they chose to measure quality. And they measured, they, they ended up measuring quality against the standards of Japanese people. Oh, because I can see they that. have such higher standards for stuff. And yeah. it's almost like they were almost like if we can deliver a quality product to Japanese people, then most everybody else will be satisfied. Yeah, Americans don't <laughs> don't um, value quality, I think. And there was this great story in here about um, in, in Japan they had an office and I forget I forget what the problem was or somebody some uh, some person in Japan didn't get something that they wanted, right? right away it wasn't right somebody dropped the order or something and it took them a while to find the order and actually ship ship the thing and so the customer in japan said hey this is very horrible i will never recommend you guys to anybody and you guys are a horrible company and i will always forever hate you kind of thing yeah and so the manager who received that um I, don't, I forget what the first step was it was like i you know called him up and said i'm really sorry um We'll, we'll refund your money or whatever. And then the, the, the customer was like, I'm, I still don't like you. You guys suck, blah, blah, blah. So in response to that, the manager, this is all in Japan. The manager got on a train and went to the person's house. And according to some samurai tradition, put his head in a prostrate position Shit. on the customer's floor, yeah. apologizing for what he did. Wow. And, and did not respond in a timely manner. And then uh, only then did the customer say, I accept your apology. Thank you very much. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so I really like that story. Um, and then, so one other point, one thing I picked away from here, uh, another thing I pulled out was on page 195. There's a statement that says, according to National Geographic, it takes eight barrels of oil to produce one cow. <laughs> Wait, eight barrels of oil to produce one cow? Eight barrels of oil. I don't know how, it didn't say how they did the calculation. Like, I mean, I guess- Cow, C-O-W? C-O-W, yeah. I don't understand the analogy. Uh, the petroleum that it takes to, you know, drive water, drive feed out to feed the cows oh. and process the cows, drive, you know, drive them to the processing plant, then picking up the processing meat, all that, you know, that's petroleum. It takes petroleum. Yeah, talking like. about Karen and Avoca with having to drive yes, that's, that's Now I, I rationalize. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's right. Yeah. It's just something I pulled out. That seems exorbitant amount of 
So anyway, it was just talking about how important it is to think about the logistics of your business and how you're impacting the environment mm -hmm. from taking flights to go to conferences to you name it. So finally, one last point after the final one last point is there was one quote that I like and it says, there's no business to be done on a dead planet. And that's why all of this is so uber important. Mm -hmm. Cradle to cradle. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>